Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Today we're talking with Steve Cam from Nerd Fitness. We're going to talk about the hero's journey as a lifestyle template, using gamification and reward systems to build a better life, fitness or otherwise, getting and staying motivated by building and creating your own bat cave, and, uh, well, how nobody really loves kale, but last but not least, how to conquer your fear like Bruce Wayne. So enjoy this one with Steve Cam, and welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with AOC and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. Then we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I'm also doing regular weekly videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every single week. We've also got our live programs running every week in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out a couple months in advance, so if you're thinking about it even a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com, to get some info from us now so you can plan ahead, and we'll see you here at AOC. So welcome. Tell us what you do in one sentence. I am the rebel leader of a worldwide community of average Joes, Jills, and desk jockeys that uh, support each other in a quest for a healthier life, and this all takes place at nerdfitness.com. Great. All right. And how did you get involved in that? Because first of all, why is it nerd fitness instead of just some kind of other fitness? I wanted to create a place for people that I could relate to that, you know, to provide specific health and fitness advice in a way that was really unbiased, no BS. And to me, it made sense. I was like, I, I like building computers and I've, you know, read every Lord of the Rings book repeatedly. And I've spent my entire childhood and most of my adulthood playing video games. Like I'm a nerd and I want to help us get fit. And I Googled nerd and fitness and nothing popped up. So I uh, picked up nerdfitness.com and have been writing over there for like seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half years now at this point. Wowza. A long time. Yeah, that's a long time, man. It's like eternity internet land. Yeah, it is. No, I know, right? It's like <laughs> old school. Like, oh, how did you even make your first website? <laughs> Chalk and slate. Chalk then. and slate. And you had to upload that somehow <laughs> and it took forever. You had to mail it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I like the system because what you've developed here is not just about get shredded for the ladies or whatever, you know, motivation people have or like lose hundreds of pounds overnight. It's very based in science and also very much sort of all encompassing instead of just get fit. Yeah, I like to think it's a personal development website. I think for people that probably would never check out a personal development website, I try to ground everything in behavioral psychology and, you know, PubMed backed research and personal experience stories from thousands of members of the community. But it's more of a lifestyle and more of a community than just like you said, it's not just get a six pack or, you know, learn how to bench more. It's like, here's how to live a better life. Here's how to make better choices with how you spend your day to day. Uh, here's how to have a better relationship with food. Here's how getting stronger can help you build self-confidence. And I tie all of that into ridiculous video game and comic book movie metaphors because that's how I spend the majority of my free time. Got it. Okay. And let's talk about the hero's journey a little bit because it seems like that's kind of not only the guideline for your new book, I mean, it seems like you consumed loads of fiction based on that, and, and you almost essentially branded yourself via that path. So let's talk about that and why it's so important to you and your brand. Sure. Well, I stumbled across this, I want to say a few years ago, but it's this concept of the hero's journey that every great story in history, from King Arthur all the way up through to uh, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, um, Hunger Games, follows a, a typical story arc. And it's this character comes from humble beginnings, receives some sort of call to action, finds a mentor, enters into this extraordinary land where he finds allies and defeats a bad guy, rescues somebody in distress or you know uncovers a treasure and then returns home a changed person. I thought back to my childhood and how often I had spent imagining myself being the hero in one of those stories, be it a video game or a comic book, a regular book or a movie. And I think as we get older, and especially now that video games are so much more complex and beautiful and the storylines are amazing, it's very easy for us to kind of get trapped in living vicariously through these digital characters or spending all of our free time escaping into these other worlds when our real life kind of sucks. And after the majority of my you know early 20s stuck in a path and unsure of what I should be doing, I kind of shifted my focus and instead of living vicariously through these other characters, I thought about why I love them, what drew me to them, and how I could kind of redesign and reverse engineer my life around this concept of being a hero's journey and the fact that I'm the hero, this entire this life that we live in is either the story or the game that we're all playing in. You know, every decision I've made since then has kind of been a restructuring of of my existence around this whole concept and it's been an absolute blast doing so. Looking at life through the hero's journey, it obviously sets you up for a path of adventure, of growth, as many would claim sort of happiness. That's what the hero is always looking for in the end, right? Recruiting his allies, defeating enemies and things like that. How do you use this to plug into your system? It looks like you've been using a lot of video game mechanics to get stuff done, which you mentioned in the book as well. Sure. Well, I thought back to the games that had kept me prisoner and from like a skeptical nerd perspective, I was like, I know what I need to be doing. I know I should be exercising more. I know I should be eating healthier, but I cannot get myself to do these things. I know I should be spending my free time on things that are productive and make me happy. But instead, I'm spending all of my time buried in these video games. So I thought to myself, like, it's not just because they have pretty graphics. It's like there are scientists and engineers that have dug into 
what makes a video game addictive and use those things to kind of target like certain aspects of our brain that make us say, I want to keep playing. I need to get to the next level. I need to unlock the next achievement. I need to get to hundred percent complete, whatever it may be. So in this idea of the hero's journey and looking at my life like a game, I started to apply those same behavioral psychology, those same reasons why I was addicted to these games and, and apply them to my life. And the few things that I continue to came back to is this concept of the progress principle. And is that we as humans actually enjoy making progress more than we do the result of the treasure that we're looking to get as a result of the progress that we're making. So in a video game sense, that is, oh, I like going from level one to level two, from level two to level three, from whatever it may be. And every time we do something in a game, there is some satisfying ding, you get a new weapon, you get to explore a new part of the world. And in reality, unless we're kind of structuring our life this way, it's difficult. It's like, oh, I have to go exercise and, oh, I have to eat better and I don't get to see any sort of results around these things because you don't get in shape overnight. You don't build confidence instantly. Like all of these things take time. So what if you could build this concept of the progress principle into your own existence? And once I started making these connections in my brain and through Nerd Fitness, the community we have over there, which we call the Rebellion, encouraging other people to start applying this idea of the progress principle to their existences too, it shifted everybody's focus. It's not, I'm going to work out, but it's, I'm gaining plus one strength today, or oh, I have to go for a run. Instead, you get to see what you're capable of that day that you weren't capable of the day before. And when you're tracking these things and, and applying some sort of you know reward and accountability system to it, it's literally turning your life into a video game. And I found that for many people that are overwhelmed with the idea of getting fit or the idea of getting started with, you know, maybe eventually running a marathon or things of that nature, when you take the focus off of, oh my God, what I have to do to get to where I'm supposed to be a year from now, instead it's like, how can I be better specifically today, concretely? How can I be better today than I was last time? It might be one extra rep on a pushup or running one second faster or you know, making one extra healthy decision in your meals. And when you look at life through this perspective, it makes things, I think, a lot more enjoyable and removes a lot of the, ugh, not again, and I don't know how I'm supposed to get there, and blah, blah, blah. Removes a lot of that nebulous behavior that I think is associated a lot with inaction when it comes to fitness. Okay, excellent. I like this because it seems like for what we're talking about here, well, you have to keep a little whistle or some sort of ding machine by you to keep your progress right now. But <laughs> but I love the idea of doing that because what I find as well when we teach at The Art of Charm is tracking, first of all, can be really hard. Sure, if you're losing weight, you can track five pounds lost or something like that, or I ran an extra mile today. That stuff is a little bit easier than, well, I feel like this relationship is improved. I mean, there's a lot of things that are a little <laughs> sure. bit nebulous, and I'm sure it's the same way with fitness as well. Trying to measure every aspect of your body without going to a trainer every day or something like that can be impossible or just very difficult. So sure. if you make metrics based on something and you stick to it, even if they're somewhat, dare I say, arbitrary, they're at least something that you're going to be using consistently. And when you do that, when you do like the level up, right? Every time I lose five pounds, I go get a massage or something like that. Sure. It makes you feel like you're actually making progress because you don't necessarily remember 
losing the weight or, oh, I looked at the scale and I felt great today, but you'll remember that you kind of add some element of almost ceremony to it. No, it's like, it's a reward system. It's a reward system, but it's codified somehow. It, almost like a rite of passage, only smaller. What am I, it's like a level up structure that you're talking about is exactly there. And it keeps you motivated when you otherwise wouldn't be, because it's really easy to be motivated when you're crushing it. It's really hard to be motivated when you're blowing it, right? Sure. Well, I, you know, I heard this great quote I think it was through like ask a question and random people can answer for you. And somebody was asking a question about practicing or getting the motivation to play a musical instrument. And, you know, the question was like, how do I get myself to stay motivated to play music? And the number one response was essentially is like, dude, it's like F motivation, cultivate discipline. And I heard that and I was like, that might be the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. Motivation, willpower, all these things are like scientifically proven to be like to be fleeting. We can't rely on those things. But if we build a system in which like the default behavior is improvement and you can build this reward system that rewards you back. So then, like you said, a massage, maybe it's buying a new pair of pants that are slightly smaller than you are when you get to a certain goal or if you've accomplished a certain number of things. It continually reinforces this new behavior that you're trying to pull off. And it's it almost becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy instead of combating these previous self-limiting beliefs I think so many have. So I love this idea of cultivating discipline and structuring your life around the way so that your default action is improvement. And all of that speaks to this concept of you know gamification and, and reward systems that reward you and continually push you further down the path. Perfect. And and so can you give an example of how this might work? Because I think a lot of people are like, great, video game style motivation. All right. I mean, what do you recommend specifically? Because a lot of people are like, great, video game style motivation. Oh, wait, how do I do that? Sure. There's a few different ways to do it. I think the one that I prefer the most when it comes to health and fitness is setting a very specific type of goal. So everybody like, especially, you know, around January, they're like, Oh, I'm going to get in shape. And they have no idea what that means. So they're like, Oh, okay, that means tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and every day, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and a half. And they get through two days, and then they get sick, or they get through two days, and something happens, they sleep through their alarm, and they're screwed. They're, they're never going back to the gym for another year until they wake up and say, Oh, maybe I'm going to do this again. So instead of saying, I'm going to get in shape, or I'm going to lose weight, uh, I encourage people to get very specific with their goals or the mentality and things that they're trying to pull off. So instead of I'm going to lose weight, it might be I'm going to, I'm going to hit the gym for 30 minutes, three times a week. And if that's too much, then it's okay, I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk every day. And instead of focusing on like the end results, it might be more focused on the concept of building the habit. So let's say, okay, I'm going to go for a walk every morning for 10 minutes. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to put on my walking shoes, or I'm going to sleep in exercise clothes, removing one additional step between you and this new habit you're trying to build. Your alarm clock is across the room, you wake up, you go outside, you go for a 10 minute walk. And if you can do this for 30 days straight, then you get to purchase a, let's say it's like a parkour training class, or a ballroom dancing class, or a you know, sign up for a personal trainer session or something. So there is this, you know, the kind of like this concept of the carrot and the stick. There is this carrot in front of you. Like if I can accomplish these certain things by this date, I will then have leveled up. When I level up, I earn this particular reward. And that reward is going to further incentivize you to continue down this path. So it's this, you know, rewarding yourself with things that reward you back, which I think is very different than what most people do. 
they're like, oh, if I go for a run today, then I get to eat a piece of cake. Or I went to the gym today, so you know I'm going to go chug a 500-calorie Gatorade. And they're taking two steps forward and then three steps backwards, when in reality, like a much better practice would be to reward yourself with something that further reinforces this decision that I'm living a new life, I am living this improved lifestyle, and as a result of that, the decisions that I'm making are pushing me further down this path to a leveled-up life. What do you do when this is all going well and then suddenly, I don't know, my ankle's a little sore, so I'm going to chill out this week, which is good, and then next week you're kind of like, oh, it's so hard to get back into this, maybe I need to, or it's just, it's raining, I don't want to go run. I mean, there, there has to be a fair measure of people in your community that struggle with getting motivated and staying that way. Oh, absolutely. Everybody, everybody in particular, especially if your default action from before is to plop down on the couch and watch six hours of Netflix or play through the newest Call of Duty or, you know, something along those lines, scroll through Facebook for hours upon hours upon hours. So we encourage people, as we say, to kind of build your bat cave. And by that, I mean, really building the environment around you to make your default activity to be the thing that you're trying to pull off. So like I said earlier, if you want to get up and go for a walk every morning, remove the number of steps between you and the activity that you're trying to build, and then increase the number of steps between you and the, let's say, negative behavior that you're trying to get rid of. So I used to watch hours and hours and hours of TV. I'd come home from the gym and I'd plop down on my couch and turn on my DVR and see how many you know shows I had recorded that I didn't need to be watching. So I ended up canceling cable. And initially I was like, oh my God, I'm going to miss out on so many things. And then realizing anytime I went to turn my TV on, there was no cable to watch anymore. I got back to reading a book or playing music or being more productive with my work. So we encourage people to take additional steps between them and the thing that they're trying to break and decrease the number of steps between them and the thing that they're trying to build. And for, let's say, like I said, walking every morning, it's sleeping in those running clothes it is building a reward system to get you to do it. And then even building in an accountability system to keep you accountable. And there's two ways to do that. One is the most extreme version would be something like giving your friend 500 bucks. And then every morning that you don't check in with them for your morning walk, uh, they donate $50 to the political cause or a organization that you truly despise. <laughs> right. Okay. As you are building the habit, it is like, oh, gee, you know what? I fine, I'll get off my ass and I'll go do the thing because the negativeness of not doing it is now so much worse than just going for the walk and improving my life. And then the other way is, like I said, if you're giving money to a friend, life's a multiplayer game. And we are, as many people have said, the average of the people we associate the most with. So if we can surround ourselves with other people that are doing healthier things, people that we can turn to, mentors, friends, allies, that makes us more likely that our default action, even when it's raining, even when we're tired, is somebody to, somebody to help kind of push us further down this path. And as those things are happening, I've seen it thousands of times. People eventually come to me after a year, they've transformed their lives and like, I can't believe it, but I actually like working out now. They initially started just to lose weight. They built a reward and accountability system to keep them going for those first few months. But then they started to like how they felt after they worked out. And they liked how their clothes felt. And they liked the feeling of like their nervous system shaking after picking up something really heavy and feeling like Wolverine or a badass. And I've seen it happen so many times that I know if I can just get people through those first few months using these game mechanics, 
this concept of drive and flow kind of start to kick in when it comes to activity. And uh, it becomes their default new lifestyle is like, I'm an active person that is taking care of myself. And this is just who I am now. Exactly. It changes their identity level opinion of who they are or assessment of who they are, not even just opinion. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We talk about this a lot at Art of Charm and at our live training as well because we have to make an identity level shift. If someone, say, identifies as shy or they're introverted, and so, which is totally fine, but they think, okay, because of that, I can't do X, Y, and Z, right? I can't create meaningful relationships or connections or certain types of 
let's say, relationships are off limits to them. You have to have that core level identity shift. It's actually really tough to create in, in a short amount of time anyway. It takes a lot of repetition and it takes a lot of this is who I am type of self-talk. And you can't just get up in the morning and look in the mirror and be like, I'm special. <laughs> Stuart Smart, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need action to back it up or it won't make sense, right? So if you get up in the morning and you say, oh, I really don't want to do this. Oh, well, you know, tomorrow I'll just go for twice as long and then you go back to bed. That actually becomes who you are. And one of the mantras here at AOC is you're building habits whether you mean to or not. Right, because people talk about breaking bad habits and building good habits, but what we don't think of as habit building is the inertia or the lack of action. And that whole staying in bed longer and not running or skipping the gym because I'm so busy with other things that take priority, <laughs> that becomes the habit. I find that after a while, I might even have three hours and instead of going, oh, finally I have time to go to the gym, I'm just like, I'm not the guy who goes to the gym. I fulfill the time with something else. Why would I go to the gym? That's not that's not one of my things, you know, whereas a few months prior to that, I might have canceled a meeting to go to the gym because it was that important to me. Absolutely. And I know other guests that you've had in your show, Ramit Sethi talks about quite frequently, but it's this concept of small wins and reinforcing this new identity of your behavior. I'll talk about it in the book too, but you know, if you are somebody who's like, oh, I'm not, like you said, I'm naturally shy or, oh, I'm somebody that doesn't exercise or, oh, I'm destined to fail at this particular thing. Everything in your brain is telling you, I suck. Exactly. To get yourself to overcome that hurdle, like the amount of mental effort required to get yourself to say something differently. You said just standing in front of a mirror in the morning and saying like, gosh, darn it, people like me and I'm not, I'm not shy anymore. Like it doesn't work that way. But with every teeny tiny small win, it might be talking to the person behind a counter at the cash register because they're legally obligated to talk to you to get your money from you. Like you can convince yourself and prove to yourself with each small win that like, hey, maybe I'm not as shy as I thought I was. Or hey, maybe this new mentality makes sense to me. And my new identity, every small win from that point shifts you away from the I suck and more closer to like the I rule. Like it goes from this self-limiting belief to a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Excellent. Yeah, great. Well phrased. Exactly. It becomes a part of who you are. It becomes something you do and it becomes something you figure out how to do and build your entire life around. And this is an extremely important and potent concept at Art of Charm as well, because what people will say, how do I become more confident in a particular situation? And I always try to drill things down to mindset and nonverbal communication. Mindset, of course, coming first. And what you find is in, in people who are struggling with this, and especially actually in people who think they're really good at this stuff already, what happens is they try to turn it all on when they need it. They'll try to stand up straight and smile and have open positive body language and manage the way they take up space and manage their eye contact and their vocal tonality when they go to a networking event or something that they place is highly important in their life. But when they're just at home or when they're with their friends or when they're out to Starbucks to grab a cup of coffee, they don't pay any attention to that stuff. So they basically aren't building it in. They're trying to rise to the occasion instead of defaulting to the level of their training to use a special forces mantra. That's really interesting. I like that a lot. Daily practice carries over to the big event. So if you're only building up for that one big networking event or asking somebody at a date, but you're not carrying it through every other time, not only are you going to be far more rusty, I think, during that networking event, but because it seems like such a big leap from 
your previous behavior to I'm going to go ask somebody out or I'm going to be social at this event, you might check it out. You know, you might not actually follow through on it. Whereas if you're just spending all of your time consistently interacting with people and whatever, instead of jumping from level one to level 10, you're jumping from one to two to three to four to five. And then if you're at level five before this networking event, oh, from five to 10, it's not nearly as bad than if you're going from one to 10. Yeah, I think, of course, trying to rise to the occasion is setting yourself up for failure because nobody in their right mind anyway would ever do the following. Man, wouldn't it be cool to run a marathon? Yeah, man, I heard there's one next weekend. We should totally go. Awesome, pass me another beer. And then they show up and they try (laughs) to run that marathon. Very few humans would be able to do that. Right now, everybody's thinking of the one guy they know who's like the Navy SEAL guy who got wasted the night before and then ran a marathon. I'm not talking about that guy who's already in that shape. Nobody would try to do that. But what people try to do with other parts of their life, whether or not it's fitness related or not, is they they try to rise to the occasion where they're like, you know what, when it really counts, when it really matters, I'm going to be able to ask my boss for a raise. I'm going to be able to tell my supervisor what needs to get done. I'm going to be able to rally my team to come through for this really important annual goal for my company. And you know what happens? nothing. There's so much pressure on it at that point. And what's funny is when you mentioned the marathon comment, I actually know one person that did that. And he ended up in a walking boot for six months after because he broke a bone on his foot when he went to run the marathon because he hadn't properly trained for it. So I do know that one guy and it didn't work out very well for him. Yeah. I don't know why anybody would think that it would. Actually, I want your opinion on this. I think that building habits, of course, is tougher than just showing up on game day, right? You might be able to force yourself to like 20 seconds of greatness to like get on the field right at the end. But it's the consistency that actually matters. I can eat kale one day only, (laughs) right? Right. Sure, no problem. But eating that instead of a cupcake for breakfast every day or something like that, that's harder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's important in what you just said there is something that we try to talk about at Nerd Fitness. And it's, I don't like diets. Like I despise the term. I discourage people to go on a diet. People are like, oh, I have to, you know, I have a wedding a month from now. It's like, okay, I'm going to go on this juicing diet or this fasting diet or those cleanse or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're making a temporary change to how they eat and they're treating the symptoms of a problem they're trying to solve, aka my waistline is too big until they reach a certain outcome and then they return to their default behavior, which is what got them in that problem in the first place. So we encourage people is like, don't go on a diet, like don't do something for 30 days and then return to what you were doing. You're making changes and you're building small habits that become who you are as a person. You know, like you're making a fundamental change to your relationship with food. Like if eating kale every day is scary for you, then like, okay, then don't make that the change you're going to do. Like if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, I'm gonna need to lose X amount of weight, I'd be like, okay, like this week, let's cut out one soda. And the next week, we're going to chop out two of them. And then the week after that, let's start walking for five minutes a day. And we're not doing any of these things with a specific end goal in mind, but it's, we're building these new habits and we're adjusting where our new default kind of set point normal everyday existence is. And that everyday existence is now further down a path towards a healthy lifestyle that you can live with permanently. There was a study recently in the, I think it was like the British Journal of Medicine, something like that. And they went and studied people on diets. And over the past decade or something, it was 99% of people failed. Like it was unbelievable because every single one of them 
had been trying to treat the symptom of their problem rather than, as we, as I like to say, like kind of hack the source code. Like they get to the base of what's wrong and they fix it at the beginning so that they're not just putting Band-Aids on these problems or temporary fixes on something until they can go back to how things were. You're changing who you are and how you're doing it. And the best way to do that is with small changes that don't scare the crap out of you. Yeah, this is partial genius, right? Because if you don't have the outcome in mind, this is a, also a really popular AOC concept. It's called detachment or outcome independency. And I think this is really key and it's very underrated because a lot of folks, it seems very counterintuitive. I Look, my goal is to lose 25 pounds. Why would I not have that outcome in mind? Look, if I want to lose 25 pounds, I've got to hit the treadmill. I've got to do this this exercise routine, I've got to change my diet and I've got to eliminate soda. But what we are forgetting at this point is your goal may evolve. It can just seem so dang overwhelming to try to lose 25 pounds if you eliminate soda and you hit the treadmill and you got a trainer and you're eating kale for breakfast and you lose a pound a week and you're going, what is going on here? This is not working. This is terrible. I'm going through all this pain for nothing. But if we sort of gradually boil the frog, to use a really gross metaphor here, if we sort of gradually do that, like, look, man, instead of having two Cokes at lunch, why don't you have one? And then why don't you just drink sparkling water if that's the taste that you're missing? Over weeks of time, you'll eventually, and this is how I I lost weight ever in my whole life, you eventually come out the other side and you just go, oh, that's weird, I lost like 15 pounds over the last couple of months because you slowly change your habits over time. So it doesn't require massive amounts of discipline and willpower. You're not setting up to the starting line of the marathon after not having trained. You're simply tweaking a little bit just like you would if you were training for a marathon. You don't start running 27 miles a day. You start, I would assume, you'd start with a couch to 5K plan and then go up from there. And I think that even having an outcome-dependent mindset when it comes to something like that could really sabotage your results. Absolutely, and it's funny. Some people might then think like, well, Steve, you've built your life around a game and goals and the end goal and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think these concepts are actually quite complementary. Like you said, if cutting out one soda a day, if your goal is to drink one less soda per day for 10 days, and at the end of those 10 days, you earn something special, your reward system and your day-to-day activities are built around the process and not the final outcome, I think you can still combine the two things. And like you said, it's kind of cool to see people or see things where like the focus and the excitement is around something physical or something exciting where it's like, oh, I, I want to run every day or I want to eat one less thing every day. And, and when it's not around, oh my God, what the scale says this morning and you know the scale can lie so badly, especially if, depending on how you ate during the weekend or <laughs> you know whatever it may be. So to build it around something else and making those decisions on the activities that you're doing or the decisions that you're making on a day-to-day basis, I think you're far more likely to be not overwhelmed with this crazy audacious goal down the road you know it's kind of like frodo walking to mordor like if he knew that mordor was as many miles away as it is he probably would have never started walking but he just put one foot in front of the other and his focus was every day walking one step further away from where he had been and eventually he got to where he needed to go what's the biggest cause of burnout or failure that you see in members of your own community is it they choose an audacious goal and they get hell-bent on it for a little while and then fail because it's too overwhelming or is there something else at work No, I think it's making too giant of a declaration and trying to do too much. And as a result of that, their willpower bar just gets depleted very rapidly. And after a week or two, they've burned out completely. 
they would have been much better off picking one tiny goal and doing that permanently for two weeks and then building on top of that once they've seen some success. Absolutely. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, back to Steve Cam. One of the things that I love to do in my own life and that we love to teach as well at AOC that I think we have in common is building things into your life. But instead of training regimen, I'm talking about having things in your home, things in your office that are setting you up to succeed. For example, I've got a video studio in my home now, whereas before I had to set everything up. Guess how many videos I made when I had to set everything up and calibrate it? Zero. Not too many, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I used to have to set up the podcasting equipment too, and it was awful, and I released once a week, and I remember just looking at this box of dusty microphones and going, oh my gosh, okay, I'm excited to do the show, but oh, this is such a freaking pain. And then of course, you know, something goes wrong, or you forgot the cable or whatever, or something breaks, forget about it. Now it's all built in, and now I can basically go in, switch things on if they're not on already, record something, and then shoot it off to producer Jason to work his magic, and we're done. And I think that there are ways to do this. We set this up socially at The Art of Charm for people who want to network and build professional and personal relationships, but there has to be a way, in fact, probably even easier way, to do this in your home or office as well for fitness purposes or for leveling up purposes as well. 
Yeah, it's funny. Actually, while writing this book, I wanted to overcome a self-limiting belief that I had. And that was uh, that I couldn't sing. I was a terrible singer. And also that uh, I wanted to learn how to play the violin despite not knowing how to do so. So I signed up for singing lessons and I rented a violin for 20 bucks a month and signed up for weekly lessons. And with the violin, I found repeatedly that I would come home from my lesson and I would put the case down and I'd go do something. And I'd tell myself the next day I need to practice. And very much like what you just said, Jordan, with the box of microphones, you have to set everything up. Just the idea to me of having to open the violin case and pull the violin out and rosin the bow and tune the strings and set the music up and blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't practice. Months went by and I would show up to my lesson every week and say, I'm sorry, I didn't practice this week. And my teacher's like, that's okay. I know you're busy and blah, blah, blah. I was lying. I wasn't busy. I had the time to do it. It was just the tiniest of hurdles to get me to practice was enough to get me to not to do it. So I bought a $15 on Amazon violin stand. And I made it a habit where every day that I came home from my lesson, the first thing I did when I walked in the door was pull the violin out, put it on the stand, which was in the middle of my living room. And it was already tuned. I set the music up instantly. And then for the rest of the week, Every time I had to walk by that violin to go to the kitchen or the bathroom or uh, whatever it may be, sure enough, I picked the violin up because it's already set up and I can only play for 30 seconds or a minute. And I made more progress in a month, I think, that I had made in my previous six months because my default action was to see this thing, see it existing in the middle of my living room. And it became the thing that I had to do. So I think it applies to learning anything, be it learning a language learning a musical instrument. If you're writing a book, you know, have the Word document open. So the first thing you see on your computer when you wake up in the morning is that document. Already have the time-wasting websites blocked in your computer when you go to bed the night before so they can't distract you first thing in the morning. If it's fitness, it's sleeping in your workout clothes, packing your gym bag the night before you go to the office in the morning so that it's already in your car. There are so many things you can do where like if you take five minutes on the first day, it makes you... 95% more likely to actually follow through in the things you're trying to do every day after that. So we call it, you know, building your bat cave. It's restructuring your environment of which we are products of restructuring that environment. So your default behavior is growth, progress, happiness, learning a particular skill or following through in a workout plan or recording your podcast on a weekly basis. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah, I think everyone can do this in a certain way. And I think this is where a lot of creativity comes into play as well. It doesn't just mean setting up your studio. It doesn't necessarily even just mean, all right, this is blocked and this is ready on my computer. I think everybody kind of has their own little vice or their own time waster or their own, well, you know, I'd have to go all the way down to the garage to do that or something like this. And ways mm -hmm. to intercept that are only limited by your imagination. For example, back when I was really, really busy, I literally had five minutes between phone calls to work out. I was doing crazy kettlebell sets in my apartment, which <laughs> was a loft that. in the middle, and so I had to buy the pads and I had to leave them out. And one sort of hack that, that my girlfriend loves a little bit less than me is, uh, I bought these kettlebells that were shaped like monsters and monkeys uh, and things those, like that. Yeah. yeah. My theory was kettlebells are pretty ugly, right? So I don't want them in the middle of my living room because people are just going to be like, okay, meathead weirdo. And, you know, there's it, it's less sure. their judgment and more just like, ugh, these things are not attractive. So when I got those, I thought these are cool and they're kind of decorative in my studio. But what happens when you look at a kettlebell 
a lot while you're working. Well, when you get five minutes, you don't go on Facebook. You pick that sucker up and you do a regimen that you've already got written down right next to it that's going to get you a nice little workout in concert with everything else given the amount of time that you have. And that was super necessary. There was a post-it note that said, five minutes, do this. Ten minutes, do this. Fifteen minutes, do this. And then probably get some water. And that was very much mandatory because otherwise what happens is I get a five-minute break, Facebook. Another five-minute break, Twitter. Another 10-minute break, oh, man, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to go look at my junk food drawer and see what's in there. <laughs> you know, So I've already had a preemptive strike on my own psychology by showing me what I do in those breaks and the stuff's already out. I don't have to go upstairs to the fitness closet and grab my crap and set up the mats. They're ready to go. I'm the only thing that's not necessarily ready to go. Therefore, I'm the bottleneck and the barrier. And if I can push through that, everything else falls into place. I love that. I, I love two things in particular there. One thing you're saying, like, if I have five minutes, I do this. I have, if I have 10 minutes, I do this. 15 minutes, I do this. Most people think like, oh, if I have to work out, I need an hour. And then they only have like 45 minutes free. And they're like, oh, well, I only have 45 minutes, but I need an hour to work out. So I'll just spend those 45 minutes doing anything else. 45 minutes of working out is amazing. Five minutes of working out is amazing. Like it can be any length of, it doesn't have to conform to this large number that most people really just use as an excuse for them to not to do something. But I think the reason why even five minutes is important is in my opinion, and from what I've seen through helping literally thousands of people at Nerd Fitness, is that diet and nutrition is 80 to 90% of the battle. And most people don't want to hear that. They want to hear that they can go for a quick run and then eat whatever they want. And they'll look like King Leonidas or they'll look like Chris Evans as Captain America or something. So instead, I encourage people and let them know like, hey, I love the idea of exercise, but make it something that you do on a regular basis, something that you enjoy, or something that consistently reminds you that you're living this healthier life. And I've found that on days when I don't work out, I'm far more likely to eat poorly because being healthy is not at the front of my mind. Whereas if I was exercising for a few minutes every hour or you know, doing a 15-minute workout every day, I'm much more likely to make the healthier decision when it comes to food and food being 80 to 90% of the battle is so much more important than many people give it credit for. So I commend you on the five minutes per hour or whatever it is between phone calls. I freaking love that. And another thing I think that people do far too often is they say, I don't have time to do something. And instead, we encourage people to say that particular thing is not a priority. We do the same thing, yeah. Because then how big of a dick do you feel when you're like, (laughs) hey, man, you should really work out more because, you know, I know I'm out of shape. Well, that particular thing is not a priority for me. You're like, oh, wow, I'm slowly killing myself. Instead of (laughs) I have this higher power calling me to do work because that's noble. You're like, no, I just deprioritize myself. Oh, everybody says it. They're like, oh man, I wish I had time to read more or I wish I had time to work on this or I don't have time to work out. It's like, no, what you're really saying is Facebook, watching TV, playing video games, scrolling through Instagram, checking email compulsively. All of those things are actually more important to you than the activity that you say is is a priority. It's not, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And I think when you make that shift in your head and start to prioritize the right things, like you said, you know, it got to a point where like working out is non-negotiable, where it's like, this is what needs to happen. I might need to cram everything else around this exercise now instead of vice versa. And when I started doing that, I was missing sales calls. I was late to work, whatever, because I said exercise has to be the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to make it a priority and I'll deal with the rest of it. And sure enough, after two weeks, I was like, okay, I can't be a jerk at work. I can't piss off my friends by showing up late. 
I need to get better at time management. And if working out is something that is truly a priority and it's non-negotiable, then all of this other nonsense that I'm wasting time on has to go away if, if I'm going to get in shape and do all the things that I said I'm going to do and have some fun with friends at the same time. Exactly. One thing that I find myself repeating often on the show is discipline only counts when you actually need it. You think about this. Oh, man, I'm going to get in shape. It's the same thing we talked about before with I'm going to eat kale five times a day. That works until you're like, you know, I hate this or I'm tempted by something else or sure. something else good comes along. And the same thing is true of relationships. No example necessary, I'm sure, for most people, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to temptation. You know, This is something that you need to build in because if you don't, you might think that you're disciplined when really you're only wearing a veneer of discipline because as soon as something more powerful comes along, it simply crumbles. And granted, okay, if you've got a family member in the hospital and you miss a workout, understandable, right? Okay, but sure. if you overslept and now you're missing workouts regularly, that's because you're undisciplined. You might need to, and going back to building your life around this, you might need to go to bed early by turning off your computer earlier so that you can get up earlier, so that you can get to the gym earlier, so that you can get to work on time. And doing that consistently is where discipline comes in. It's not just going to the gym and pushing through that last set. That might be little micro occurrences of discipline, but it actually starts much earlier than that. You know, when I was in college, I went to the gym every day because I didn't have a lot else going on. Now, getting to the gym requires me to schedule my entire life around it, to schedule meetings around it, and frankly, to have meetings at the gym if possible. That's great. No, I do the same thing. I have every workout in my in my calendar. I work out four days a week for 45 minutes to an hour or so. It's nothing crazy, but it's every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And if for some week, you know, there was, I think it was due to Thanksgiving, I was traveling and whatever. And I was two days off of my rotation. So then it was like, okay, I need to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, Thursday, Friday, Saturday off. And after a week, I got back on schedule. But that was very important for me. Because as soon as that routine started to break down, it makes it so much easier for it to, to crumble. Like you said, it's the three little pigs, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm disciplined, but you're building a house of sticks that big bad wolf shows up, you're screwed. I'm pretty sure that's how the fairy tale goes, right? Yeah, I think so. If, you, if you've been slowly laying disciplined brick after brick after brick after brick when the big bad wolf shows up, like you're actually properly prepared to deal with that thing that would have thrown many other people off the path. I, I mean, we all see it every year. It's the people that say on January 1st, I'm gonna be different this year. And there's some studies that say like by January 20th, 80% of people have already abandoned or forgotten what they had said just three weeks earlier. Like, wow, it's super depressing because everybody's attacking the problem the wrong way. One of your favorite characters is obviously Batman. It's Batman. I mean, yeah. everybody loves Batman. Everybody loves Batman. And of course, his alter ego, Bruce Wayne, or vice versa, Bruce Wayne and his alter ego, Batman. You talk a lot in the new book about how to crush fear like Bruce Wayne. I don't know why you didn't say Batman, but let's go with Bruce Wayne, the way that you've sure. run with it. I would love to talk more about this because identifying and quantifying fear and then taking action on it is something that it could and should be a life-changing habit or skill for most people. Absolutely. Well, the reason I specifically mentioned Bruce Wayne, I loved what Christopher Nolan did with, you know, the most recent movies, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, etc. And as a young kid, Bruce Wayne falls down a well and he peers into this cave and thousands of bats come out, scares the crap out of him. And he spends the majority of his childhood and young adult life terrified of bats. He returns to Gotham, a changed person, and he's like, okay, I'm going to become a symbol that the city needs, and I'm going to help protect this place. And, you know, he thought back to 
a fear of his that had kept him prisoner and, and scared the crap out of him for so long, in turn decided to use that fear to strike fear in the hearts of his people. So that's why he becomes Batman. He takes this thing that had kept him prisoner and, and kind of occupied his brain and redirects it in the, in the right path. So I'm the type of person, very similar to many, that you know, pretty risk-averse type person. I can overanalyze anything to the point of paralysis. I can get myself to talk myself out of pretty much anything because I'm terrified of it. So in order for me to change that, very similar to what Bruce had done, like you almost have to like acknowledge what this fear is. Like, okay, I'm afraid of talking to this particular person or I'm afraid of asking for this particular thing at work. Asking yourself what, you know, the worst possible thing that could happen. Bruce found out, it's like, okay, well, these bats are not out to get me. Like they are a species doing their own thing and I'm doing my own thing and that's just what it is. And then from there, it's like kind of rechanneling that energy and and using it to to attack that particular problem that you're working on. So I know Tim Ferriss talks about this quite frequently and other guests you guys have had, but it's truly breaking down and getting excruciatingly detailed about like what's the worst possible thing that could happen if there's an outcome that uh, doesn't line up with the thing that you're trying to do. And everybody, I think with fear, it comes down to like failure, like, oh, if I ask that person out and they turn me down, or what if I try to do this particular skill and I fall on my face? Or what if I try to start my own company and it goes belly up? It's like, okay, like identify what this fear is, this thing that's probably keeping you from doing it in the first place. Break it down into what it actually means. And then come up with a plan to address it should that worst case scenario happen. It's like, okay, this person tells me to screw off and they're not interested in talking to me. It's like, okay, uh, I'm still in the same place as I was before. I just get to move on with my life knowing that that wasn't a good interaction. If you try to start a business and it fails, it's like, okay, I might need to sleep on a friend's couch. I might need to move in with my parent temporarily until I get another gig going. But I went for it, I tried it, and I can get through it. But we get so hung up on what the fear part is and how bad things can go that we forget like things can also go right there's a great guy named uh, Gia Jang, and he runs a website called, uh, was it Fear Buster or something like that? Yeah. He did a, a rejection therapy. I think he just put a book out. He talks about like 100 days of rejection where he was so afraid of being rejected that every day he went out and sought rejection. And more often than not, the people actually said yes to his ridiculous questions and like he couldn't get rejected. Like he asked a cop to like ride in the cop car. He went up to a stranger's house and knocked on his door and said, hey, can I play soccer in your backyard? In many of these instances, they're like, uh, that's kind of weird, but yeah, okay. I, I guess so. I don't, I don't see why not. So I just thought it was so neat to see all these different opportunities of, of people that have like, okay, here is something I'm afraid of. Here is a systematized approach to uh, addressing, defining, uh, analyzing, and attacking that fear and more often than not, in many or most of those cases, that worst case fear never results. If anything, anything is temporary, but more often than not, it's the opposite, that things actually go right and go well. You know, fortune favors the bold. Like, I truly believe that. I just love the idea of Bruce Wayne and how he attacked that problem and, and how he dealt with something that he was truly afraid of and instead made it like a rallying cry for who he is and what he stood for. Let's put that into a box. So the first thing that we do is we identify what we're afraid of. Instead of just having an anxiety reaction whenever we think about writing a book or whatever, we identify, what if nobody buys it? Or, oh, I'm gonna have to write it, it's gonna take so long and I'm not a great writer. Something like that, we codify that, we put it down on paper so that it becomes more real and not just a physical revulsion to the task or to the occurrence of whatever it is. And sure. then 
once we've identified it, we can then what plan for the scenario so that we are, are less scared of it because we have a contingency or am I skipping something? I think it's acknowledging that you're afraid of it and like just kind of laughing at yourself being like, okay, like I get it. This is what I'm afraid of. I understand that this is the fear that I'm. And when you acknowledge what it is that you're afraid of and that you are afraid of it, you can mentally prepare yourself for if this goes wrong, this is what I can do. It makes it much less of like this big, hairy, audacious disaster. And instead it's like, okay, this is what the problem is. And I can, I can attack it otherwise. Like you said, after you write down what the worst thing that could happen is, and, and then once you, once you get to that point, you can then spend a minute or two be like, okay, if this happens, then I will do this. And you'll realize very quickly that the thing that you're afraid of and this world changing failure, if it were to happen is actually quite temporary and not that bad. It makes it far less likely for you to chicken out and not actually go for it. How is that different than worrying? Different from worrying how in that like people worry about everything that could go wrong. Yeah. Is it only different because we're writing it down? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I think worrying is far more pessimistic. It's just like, oh, this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. And I think this other attitude is more like, okay, should this go wrong, this will be my this will be my response or this is what I can do. So instead of just like pessimistically worrying about if it's going to rain tomorrow, you're like, okay, should it rain tomorrow? It's like building a contingency plan or, uh, you know, building a parachute almost uh, like, okay, should this happen, then I will do this. When you've got these default behaviors to fall back on when any of those potential outcomes could happen, it makes them far less likely to paralyze you from from taking the action you're trying to do. Perfect. Thank you so much. Steve Cam, Nerd Fitness. We'll have that linked up, of course, in the show notes, along with the book, Level Up Your Life, which will be available at bookstores, which still exist, and Amazon as well. <laughs> and of course, we'll link to your Twitter so people can go, great episode with Steve Cam, and then CC you on that. Love thank it. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, you guys are doing a great thing, and um, it seems like there's a, there's a great synergy between helping people, helping guys get more confident and uh, helping them get fit. I see such a tremendous overlap in those two things for sure. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the chance. I love stuff like this. Anything that talks about habit change, and Steve's a good dude. I mean, he's been around for a while. This isn't like the latest get rich quick or get skinny quick type diet stuff. And anybody that wants to help gamify or use the hero's journey, I'm, I'm a big fan. Practical is the name of our game. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Steve on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as, of course, his new book, Level Up. You can tap the album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter at The Art of Charm. Bootcamp details for our live program, also at theartofcharm.com. Remember, subscribe in iTunes, iPhone and Android apps available. Special thanks to the Jasons and to Fogarty for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.